Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Outgrow's Marketer of the Month. I'm your host, Dr. Saksham Sharda. I'm the creative director at Outgrow.co. And for this month, we're going to interview Dale Hall, who's the CMO at SnapLogic, which is a company that provides integration platform as a service tools for connecting cloud data sources, SaaS applications, and on-premises business software applications. Thanks for joining us, Dale. Thanks, mate. That was a great description. I couldn't have said it myself. <laughs> I picked it up from your Wikipedia, I think. Uh, someone must have thought about before putting it there. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So, Dale, we're going to start with a rapid-fire round just to break the ice. Uh, you yes. get three passes. In case you don't answer, want to answer a question, you can just say pass. But try to keep your answers to one word or one sentence only, okay? Got it. All right. So the first question. How long does it take you to get ready in the mornings? 25 minutes. Most embarrassing moment of your life? Uh, I gave a best man speech with another uh, another best man. We were dual best men and we completely died. It was awful. <laughs> okay. How many hours of sleep can you survive on? Six. Fill in the blank. An upcoming marketing trend is blank. Artificial intelligence in everything we do. The city in which the best kiss of your life happened. Rome. Pick one, Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey. Pass. The first movie that comes to your mind when I say the word ambition. Wolf of Wall Street. When did you last cry and why? Pass. Yeah, the biggest mistake of your career. Uh, staying at one very large company for nine years. Hmm. How do you relax? I exercise. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? Too many. Five or six. A habit of yours that you hate. Pass. I don't think that's three passes, but I yeah. don't have one. <laughs> the most valuable skill you've learned in life. Uh, that you have one mouth and two ears for a reason. So you should listen more than you should talk. Okay. And the last question is your favorite Netflix show. God, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, let's go with. Peaky Blinders. All right, that's the end of the round. You passed three times, so you scored seven on ten, and you only win a car. Just kidding, you oh. don't win. <laughs> I do this to everyone, but anyway, okay. Um, the questions you ask to everyone? Or do you mix well, it up? we kind of mix them sometimes, but yeah. uh, I think we were supposed to interview you in July. So these haven't been updated in a while. So they've been used yeah. before. So, okay, yeah. No <laughs> All right. So let's go on to the bigger questions. So I describe uh, uh, SnapLogic as yeah. uh, <laughs> a company that provides integration platform as a service tools for connecting cloud data sources, SaaS applications, and on-premises business software applications, which basically sounds like a mouthful. So how would you actually describe it to a person who's never 
never heard this uh, yeah, terminology that, before. <laughs> that is probably more of the technical description. Basically, yeah. the way we think about what SnapLogic does is it's a way that you can help organizations connect their applications, make sure the data is uniform, and then use the data to, I would say, uh, have better business processes. So it means, uh, you know, do you, do you, does a marketer, for example, you know, I can connect Marketo to Salesforce pretty easily. But if I really want to do customer 360, I need to know all the other touch, touch points that a customer is engaging with. So if I'm using Gainsight, for example, or a tool to look at what the customers are using in the product, I can use SnapLogic to then connect what customers may be doing around some of my outbound, you know, if I'm using Marketo, I can, I can use it to see, to then pull together what those same customers are doing in the product without having to go to multiple places or, you know, and I can share that across multiple teams. So my customer success team could see it. A sales team can see it. So you can, you can help to identify, for example, if, you know, if, if, a customer showing more interest in a specific product. If they're raising more cases about one of the products they're using, so it could mean that there's a problem with the account or the challenge. So it's connecting applications, making sure the data is is uniform, and then being able to to share that across the organization. And isn't there like concerns with like whether marketer would share all that data in the first place? Like I guess it's not all available in general but like are there any limits to what extent you can join this there's no there's no limit i think just what happens in most organizations today is we're so busy doing what we're focused on so i'm so busy trying to drive demand that you have this data but you don't necessarily have the time or the inclination to say you know what i'll share that with my csm team because they might be interested it, you've got to have focused activities or you know you're going to have meetings about it so it's if there is a way that you could actually pull those together easier then i think it would be easier to share the data but it always feels like so much of an effort to really get that into the hands of everyone that, that could use it i just don't think it happens and why do you think more and more enterprise organizations are re rethinking their approach to legacy data and application integration I think you've probably seen it like I have. There's that chart that shows you all the new just MarTech solutions that are out there. There's like 7,000. So the 7,000 MarTech solutions. So the reason I think we have to make more of an effort and why the legacy systems are not right is, first of all, there are applications everywhere, right? And marketing specifically, I've heard this for years. I don't know how true it is, but marketers always want to try new tools. They actually have a lot of budget to do things like, you know, try new new tools and new applications. But because they want to do that, a lot of the legacy systems or an IT are kind of hamstrung because they're on the hook to figure out how to do the integration themselves. So there's a lot of coding going on. There's a lot of like, how do I make sure that, you know, the data is correct? How to make sure it's going to integrate with all the other systems? And again, a lot of the legacy um, plays I'll do some coding, but guess what happens when there's an update to that application or there's another application you want to add with it, it all has to be recoded because that's kind of the legacy issue. And then there's the advent of things like cloud data warehousing where people are becoming more um, familiar and, and okay 
with the security of moving things in, in and out of the cloud, a lot of the legacy systems can't deal with that. And we see that with a lot of legacy vendors in integration space is that they still have so much on-prem stuff that they can't even get, um, they, they can't take advantage of, of a cloud model because they've held onto it for so long. And guess what? IT are frustrated because they want to be able to leverage new systems. They don't need, they could have their, their coders doing new and interesting things for the business, not just trying to fix all the legacy code every time there's a new application or a new release or so on. So, so they want to, they want to be part of it too, but for a lot of times they're hamstrung with what, with what they've already got. And what do you think the future of marketers trying out new softwares all the time is headed? Where do you think well, it's headed? I don't see it slowing down. <laughs> I don't see it slowing down because, you know, I think, I, I think that, again, I've, I've heard this for years. Uh, marketers, marketing should own the customer experience, right? You probably, people have talked about it. But I think the, the challenge has been how do we how do i get access to everything that customer experience really means so how do i really understand how to use things like a, a product um, telemetry tool like i don't know how to use that it's not my daily job but if there was a way that that i could integrate everything so that data got fed into let's say i look at salesforce or let's say i'm looking at google sheets if it was easily integrated i could actually have a bigger view of what's going on with customers and I could actually fully own the customer experience. When I hear marketers talk about they own the customer experience, it still feels like they only own a small part of it, which is like the, uh, you know, awareness, awareness, interest, help on the acquisition. And then a lot of the other stuff around what happens when there are current customers, it kind of, it gets pushed to the side because, you know, marketers are held so accountable to demand. They, they tend to focus on that side. So I think, I think we're gonna. Uh, I think marketers are gonna end up owning more of the customer experience. Now they can get access to more of the tools. I don't think we're gonna slow down in terms of uh, uh, trying new things because I think marketers really like that. Now, if you're if you're a technology um, that you're trying to sell to marketers, the big challenge is make sure that it's sticky enough that it's harder to potentially like, hey, I can implement it quickly, but then I can also get rid of it quickly. Like that's the real challenge because we kind of change all the time. We're hit by, I think I get about 60 cold outreach emails a day from vendors and BDRs and technology, try this, try that. So, you know, uh, the challenge of selling to marketers is make sure that the product is sticky enough and they get value quickly. Hmm. And and your SnapLogic kind of markets itself as an, enterprise uh, automation uh, what was it enterprise automation company like the word enterprise is used a lot on your website yeah. and do you are you specifically for enterprise how do small and medium businesses make use of snap logic if they want to yeah you know look when we say enterprises it means there's the the product that we have the, the main product that which is called the intelligent integration platform is it's about scale. It's about security. Um, it, the connections it has across the business. It's it was originally built to be something that HR could use, finance, marketing, sales, all the lines of businesses. So it, it really has the ability to scale. There's a lot of other vendors that has just a smaller, more lightweight touch point. 
So that's how it was originally built. When we say enterprise, it could also mean the growing enterprise. So we have a couple of versions of the product now. We have something called SnapLogic Flows, which is, is for lines of businesses to use. So they can start using that, do some lightweight integrations early. And then if they want to grow, they've got the power of the platform behind it, right? They've got the scalability and the security, which again, once you get into these larger enterprises, you know, we have Adobe and Siemens and like these organizations, they need to have that that reliability and scalability, not just, you know, the the um, the, the smaller lightweight touches. But we do have that now that came out a few months ago. So it's not that we're excluding some of that. We have a commercial sales team that, that focus on that. But again, the power of the platform is as you grow and then multiple lines of businesses could potentially use it and take advantage of it. So speaking of enterprises, on your website, we noticed that there is a dummies guide webinar to how enterprise automation transformed Schneider Electric. Could you give us a taste of what that webinar is about? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a good example, right? When we talk about, you talk about integrations and some of it's very in the nitty gritty, but enterprise automation is how you enable all the lines of businesses to take advantage of what the integration platform does. So what Schneider are gonna talk about is, you know, how they were able to potentially move, you know, hundreds of developers that were coding down to like 10, 15, and the other developers can create new applications and new things for the business because it's much easier to do integrations with something like SnapLogic. And when we talk about enterprise automation specifically, and this is what, this is what Schneider have done, it's every line of business. So marketing can use it to do some of those integrations I talked about on customer experience. Uh, HR can use it because they can create a better employee onboarding and offboarding flow. So it all happens behind the scenes. So when we say enterprise automation, we mean it's integration automation at any point across the business, right? And again, I think what, you'll, what, what we see in the business in our market is there are some people that are focused on very specific use cases, but that's not enterprise automation is a vision. It's it's not it's not a product, it's not a tool, it's a way of saying you can improve all these processes in your business. You can, you know, employees can get onboarded much easier, get their laptop easier, get their badge easier when they need a badge to come back to the offices. Um, because the integrations are, are, are supporting it. That's enterprise automation. It's a it's a vision of how how much more efficient the business could be not just on using your developers in other ways but like actually um having data across the business where everyone understands what a customer is doing so it's a lot of it, it's there's a lot of potential and we had the um my product marketing team actually filled up they actually completed a book i should have brought one in actually so it's actually we do have an enterprise automation for dummies book that we're using <laughs> in our mind gen too so it's pretty cool Okay, I thought that we could uh, put it in in post production in your hands yes. since you made the movement yes. anyway. <laughs> I'll say that. I'll send you. <laughs> okay, uh, so let's shift the topic a little bit to you. So you have led the marketing domain as VP and head in multiple organizations, uh, and you complained that you were too long in one organization for nine years. But we'll get to that. So how do you think that marketing initiatives have changed across multiple industries in your? Uh, career as this uh, VPN head in multiple organizations? Well, I think that uh, 
I think the the you the use of this is again this is why I'm interested in this space and the company I was at before great startup called people AI I really resonated with that is I think the ability for marketers to use tools and platforms is one thing but the amount of data we have access to and and the thing that I've seen being the power of that data and I, I get it here at SnapLogic the relationship that marketing have with sales here not just my team with the sales team but me with my CRO the relationship we have is so much stronger than it was at most of the other companies I've I've been at and it's got better each time because we're always aligned we're always looking at the same set of data we're sharing that data more easily so over my career whilst I'm not saying marketing and sales were always fighting but you've heard <laughs> you've heard as many stories about it is there there's always a challenge between that and I and and that for me feels like it's getting less and less as we start to align on tools we're all looking at the same data I think there are still some some people like if you're not a CMO who's driven by what you're adding to pipeline and what you're driving for the business then I think you still may have that challenge but I but I believe you have the opportunity with the platforms with aligning on the data to get that relationship pretty pretty tight and, and guess what that that has a massive impact on how happy you are on a daily basis if every time you go in with a meeting with sales they're not bitching about anything I mean there's there's never going to be like you know there's always going to be something but <laughs> but as long as you're looking at the same data and you're aligned on that then I think your life is easier as a marketer that's great I think we finally we've found a topic for this uh this episode it can be aligning marketing and sales with yeah I have to think of what the width is. Automation data, we'll think about it. Like yeah. <laughs> aligning marketing, marketing and sales is a pretty good <laughs> episode yeah. title. You know what? And guess what? It's I am absolutely passionate about it because mm. I've seen so many um I've seen I've, I've been in organization and I've seen so many organizations where they where marketing will call success because they ran a campaign and they got you know, a thousand registrations, 400 attendees, and nothing comes of it. And sales are like, you know, it, marketing should celebrate when sales hit their numbers and we delivered the Forex pipeline that we committed. Like that's what's, that's what we're delivering to the business. Yes. I want, you know, I want my digital team to make sure they're focused on suspects and MQLs, but I don't talk to my CRO about MQLs. I only talk about are we getting to the Forex coverage and how many stage twos, because that's when it becomes real pipe. How are we delivering that for the business quarter over quarter? Like that's what we we both care about because that's what drives a business. So have you had an organization where you were working in the past, perhaps where there was a lot of conflict with sales? Um, Yes, I have had some of those. Um, and I think it comes down to, I don't know if when the, the organization started the year and you look at planning, I think sometimes sales do their plan based on capacity. I think marketing do their plan based on some of the initiatives they want to run and so on. And I think if they don't, if they don't come together and then say, okay, where, you know, how much pipeline do you expect marketing to drive uh 
you know, based on the bookings number that you want. If you don't have that conversation early, and frankly, every quarter, just to make sure you reset, in case the number's gone up, because maybe you were short on a quarter, so you need to get up higher for the following quarter. If you don't have that discussion, you do get a lot of, you know, finger pointing through the quarter because you both aren't aligned on it. Having said that, marketing also has to take responsibility. Hey, if you come up short, what are you going to do to fix it? Right. And I think that's another thing that I think sales really resonates with is take ownership. My CRO here, he's a super experienced guy, but he's just a big believer in, hey, things are going to go wrong, but tell me what you're going to do to fix it. Right. And he holds the same team account. He holds the sales team accountable to that. So I'm happy that it holds us accountable. If we're short on pipeline, guess what? What are we going to do? My team talk about like the things we can do, let's say in the last four weeks of the quarter to maybe drive some interest to, to make up the number next quarter. But, um, you know, it, it has to be, the alignment has to start when you're planning, the, you're planning the year, you're planning the quarter and you go all the way through. I have spreadsheets up the wazoo that talk about, you know, what their bookings number is, what percentage I have to get to for marketing driven pipe, it's offset by a quarter because what we generate in a quarter doesn't necessarily close that quarter. So it's pretty complicated, but but there's a lot of alignment because my CRO knows I'm holding myself accountable to, to his numbers as well. And that's a big difference. Mm. And what's your take on, let's like switch properly to marketing. What's your take on influencer marketing and have you leveraged it in any way for a company like you know slap snap logic and how does one leverage it for a company like snap logic yeah and when you say influencer do you mm -hmm. mean give me give me your description of what you mean by influencer is it anyone that influences the brand or a specific channel i think in this case when you hold a webinar with schneider electric and they talk on your behalf that kind of becomes an influencer marketing strategy like in my opinion but it's really like how you interpret it but that's one way in which i would interpret it so i already okay. gave the answer to my own question <laughs> like, yeah, you go. You <laughs> okay let me give my answer so there's, there's a couple of things i see as influencer marketing um your example there is is what i call advocacy marketing customer advocacy right so internally here at snap logic and i've done this at my i did this at, at two two or three of my other companies i did it at aruba I moved to Lithium. We did it there. We're doing it at SnapLogic. My last company was a little bit too small at the time as it was growing. But customer advocacy marketing comes from things like, what are you doing on your community? Like, what is your strategy to engage with customers, answer their questions? How are you bringing them together? And that is, if you've got an online platform, I mean, Lithium, which is now a company called Chorus, uh, Lithium was that, was, that was their goal. It was community and social media management software. So their whole premise was, if you bring customers together, they can be your biggest source of marketing and advocacy. So are you creating an online place where customers can ask questions, you can answer, you can bring in experts and so on? So that's one. We just launched here, and I had them at two of my other companies, um, customer awards. This is just a way to make sure that you're recognizing what great work your customers are doing, give them you know, we did actually, you know, drinks award ceremonies um, in in uh, locations. Hopefully in the future we can do that. Can't do it right now. Um, but then you red carpet, everyone got dressed up. We did awards, you do the step and repeat so they get pictures. That's 
that they feel good about that for you as an organization for you as a, as a company what you also get is customers um, completing their award submission they tell you what they're doing with the product so all of a sudden you've got this you've got you've almost got a customer case study written by the customer themselves uh -huh. hmm. right so you've got you've got the benefit of being able to recognize them and then you get something for it too so community awards we launched an mvp program when i was we did this at aruba networks so they had um they called it airheads airheads because it's networking right um i think when i joined when we the, the ceo asked me and the cmo at the time a guy called ben gibson like how do we how do we take advantage and get get um to compete with cisco so cisco was the 800 pound gorilla in this market I think at the time Aruba was four or five hundred million. Cisco's thirty billion, and we came up with the idea of creating this advocacy program. So what it was, it was a community platform at the hub, and then we did MVP awards, we did certifications and training, um, we did if you attended an event, you got kudos for that, and we created this whole model. And I think when I joined, we had about. A thousand people kind of using the community by the time i left i was there just over two and a half years that was up to about 150,000 because we'd amplified the reach of the brand not just with customers we created this hub where you could ask questions around any like the new 11 um the new networking protocols it was 11 ac at the time or you know the the advent of bring your own device to the office we just created this hub where people could have industry discussions and it just ballooned so much so is that when when hpe bought aruba aruba networks when they acquired them um meg meg whitman i think she she was the ceo at the time uh of uh, of of hp and she said one of the jewels in aruba's crown was what they'd done with their community and with airheads that was like for me that was like one of the biggest indicators of how powerful that influencer marketing piece can be is using your customers giving them benefits so it's not just using them for your own benefits they get something from it but um you know the lift for the brand the advocacy that comes of it you know i think that's something that every organization should be thinking about again looking at marketing owning the customer experience that's a good example all those programs were about uh, making the customers more successful. You know, it, I didn't have a goal. I wasn't held accountable to renewals or churn, but we knew those things helped people stay close to the brand and have that affinity. So, you know, when you see renewal rates drop, even though you can't say it's because of the community or because of the awards, you know, it's an influencer in it. Mm. But community building is just so hard in a world that's so noisy and like, you know, in, in a world there's so many big players, it's like hard to build a community from scratch. I mean, like you did say that a thousand person community already existed before you kind of transformed it into a bigger community. But is there a formula that one can use for a company that doesn't have any community? Because even like in cases of a lot of companies and in the case of HP as well, right? They bought this community essentially, like because it's hard for them to build their own. So it's easier for yeah. companies to just go and buy a forum that's kind of active. So what is your solution to this? Well, we had a, a, a lithium at the time. 
we had a really smart guy called Dr. Wu. Um, I used to edit his blogs and most of the stuff I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> but he he wrote a book, a few books around the science of social and around gamification. So one of the things that you can do, in t- I mean, so there's, there's um, driving awareness and driving interest to bring more people in. A lot of that can come from if people are engaged with the community already, then they start to um, they start to talk about it more. Gamification is something that we used to help them get more involved in it. So start with getting those people more involved. Give them some fun things to do. Create levels in the community where you get recognized. Create rewards around that. As they start to see that, as they start to get, you know, we re- I think I can't remember the, the nomenclature that we use, but like we called them the gurus. So if, if you're engaging with the community and answering questions, if you're taking training, if you turn up at event, you got this designation. You were a, 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 an MVP guru. They would go and promote that. They get recognized for it. So they go on their own LinkedIn profiles or that when they talk to others, they talk about they're a guru, according to Aruba. That helped to amplify and get other people to see what was going on. So this is, you know, your, your influencer marketing. It's that knock-on effect. It's the brand advocacy they create because they're excited about what you're creating. Right. So you have to start with that. And then we did you know, other little tactics like there was a, 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 a an independent group of wireless. I want to say I'm analysts, but some of them were in brands. Some of them were more industry analysts. And they used to run this event called the Wireless Field Day, which is basically they'd come together at an event or they'd get into a room and broadcast it virtually. And there'd be like 20 or 30 of them. Um, and they'd meet and they'd put out content and that kind of thing. We started hosting them. So we hosted their uh, their broadcast on the community. So what that did was then the people that follow them would have to come to the community to watch that quarter's broadcast. So then all of a sudden, you've got all their network is being amplified from your community. So then people are coming in. And hey, maybe when they come in to watch it, you still let them watch it for free. They don't have to register. It will be on the homepage for like of the community for two hours as they did the event. But while they're there, give them the opportunity to look around, give them the opportunity to register. And that's one of the key things with community as well. You need two areas. You need a customer-only area where they're going to ask really in-depth questions or they're going to bitch about something. But then you need a public area where you drive discussions around the industry. You drive discussions around what's going on in the market. What are new trends? Because if you just hold it to customers, there's a benefit in that, clearly. But then you don't get the same kind of lift. You don't get the same kind of um, uh, um, advocacy and the... and um, multiplication of of your brand if it's just for customers because then you've been really strict about um about what people can say and there's there's again there's a time for that but what you really want is people coming in and just getting familiar with the brand and what some of your experts are talking about so and look there's so i said gamification there's the um, go to other groups to bring them in there's there's a bunch of other tactics it's just again it's just a lot that you can focus on. I think one of the things that I always advise companies, and again, look, I was at Lithium for five years, five years. 
So it was all about community and social media management. So I've seen the power of it and a lot of a lot of that I still don't think a lot of companies are taking advantage of because it feels like, again, as a marketer, I'm focused on demand. I want to drive the business and that's important. But then I think sometimes you lose the fact of you can help the rest of the business by creating these communities and so on. So I always advise people, you know, you don't have to start big and have all those pieces in place like we did at Aruba, but but start with some, you know, start with one of the cheaper tools and start bringing questions in and linking it to their Salesforce cases and then start driving discussions. But you need someone to own it. And I think a lot of people that try communities and fail is because they feel like, well, if we launch it, people will come. No, you need people that market in it, that add questions, your organization, your technical people, your product marketing. They've got to be in there engaging, answering questions and posing questions and writing articles or blogs or something like that. So it takes effort, but but I've seen it be pretty powerful too. We also, I guess, in a sense, entering a stage of the internet where communities are aware and influencers are aware that they are wanted by companies. So that's why we have something like BitCloud coming along and saying, you know, come on our platform. And the more you post and the more you engage, we're going to pay you and the value of your coin goes up. So I guess people are getting smarter and realizing that if they participate in a community, they probably should get rewards in return. So yeah, yeah but, but a lot of people probably still don't do it. And again, I think the those communities where you get monetary value, I mean, maybe that's going to grow. But I think for, for most B2B type brands, it, it should be around, yes, you should recognize and reward them. There's multiple ways to do that, right? You'd be like in the tech community, we still get, we did like four different t-shirt designs, right? And when we offer those as like rewards for certain levels, you'd be surprised how many people they like they love them, right? We did, we did a Black Lives Matter one, we did um, uh, an LGBTQ one, we did two on brand ones, and then we made made them available and said, you know, when you get to a certain level, like pick which one you want. I was amazed because when they went out, then we'd have people showing up at webinars like three months later wearing their Snap Logic shirts. Right. So you do need to reward them. And I think people are smart enough to know these days that that those kind of things are important. It doesn't always have to be monetary, though. I mean, that that may grow in the future. But, you know, I think B2B brands should look at it more as it's advocacy. It's influencer rather than, you know, I'm trying to buy people to come into this community. OK, so the last topic for today is artificial intelligence, since you've been talking about that quite a lot. Yeah. So how do you think AI has contributed to your marketing initiatives? Yeah, I mean, I think we're still we're one of the analysts that I talk to a lot. This guy called Jim Lundy at Aragon, and he always talks about um, AI washing, which means everyone says that they've got it. But once you look under the covers, what it actually is is just a set of rules, right? A process and rules and, you know, it's like a rule table, right? So that's not real. Um, that's not real artificial intelligence. Um, the examples that I think that I'm most excited about is if I look at what something that SnapLogic is doing, we are, as you connect to your company, it allows you to look at the applications that you've got and suggests using artificial intelligence, it suggests how to connect them. 
So that is, think about that. That's important. So you don't have to have as much training to understand the tools if you can plug it in and then it suggests exactly where and how because it understands from other learning and other customers and other connections the best way to make that happen. There might be some manual you know, interaction at some point with a, with some some developer, someone in IT is going like, yeah, I want to do that slightly different, but it gets you going quickly, right? So that's that's important. The goal, I mean, one of the things that we've talked about here, which would be super cool, imagine if you could do that through voice commands. So imagine you plugged in SnapLogic and you talked to SnapLogic and said, you know, SnapLogic, connect my enterprise. And then it had all these things go off. I mean, that's then you need to have a conversational intelligence tool as well as the platform, but like possibilities there are immense, especially for someone like a marketer. Like I don't want, I'm not going to get in there and code. I don't want my marketing ops team to code, but if they had something that they could just quickly integrate and all of a sudden we're seeing the data out of it, that would be brilliant. So that's one part. The other piece that I'm, one of the reasons why I joined my last company, People AI, and I think the the things that they're doing is incredible. Um, it was a way to be able to understand um, what happens when, when marketing creates a lead or creates MQLs and they go to the sales team. Unless you have a discussion with the sales team or unless every salesperson is uh, entering everything in Salesforce or your CRM, you know, which you know they don't do, the power of the tool was it would help you identify who was followed up on, um, uh, how many calls were made, how many emails, have, have calendar invites been sent to customers. It would read the contents of emails to create sentiment. So this had this, like, this level of intelligence that um, marketers could get that in real time. So we actually knew I could look at a campaign and I could say, I mean, we've got a thousand names but there's no leads, there's no pipeline generated from it. Well, why is that? Today, if I do that, I have to really look at, I have to call the sales team and look into the leads and get into the details. What what the power of, of a tool like that, what people I have, is I could get a report that said, yeah, there's no pipeline, but that's because only 20 leads were followed up on, no one's sent an email, no one's had a calendar invite, no one's made phone calls, like it, it's, it would look across what was going on in the other systems, like your email system, your calendar system, not just CRM, and it would pull that data in. So that impacts so many other things, not just marketers. It helps on understanding the forecast. Like, is it real when someone puts it in stage two? If they had it in stage two, the um, you should have made a few calls, got some emails, you've, you've um, entered into uh, your CRM, uh, who you're meeting with, the sales team generally don't do that in the same kind of timing, but there are tools out there that now tell you that, tell you whether something's been scheduled. That's super powerful because it, I can see, oh yeah, this this campaign or this event hasn't been that successful, but it's because no one's followed up on it yet, right? And, and then again, what I talked earlier, alignment of data between sales and marketing, guess what? If you're both looking at that data, it's really hard for someone to say, well, you know, the campaign is was crap. It just wasn't the right thing. Well, yeah, of course, because no one's followed up on anything. So how can we really make that judgment? So there's a little bit of CYA for, for the marketing team too. 
Um, but again, if you're all looking at the same data, the power is there uh, for sales and marketing to be uh, to be more successful together. Okay, so the real last question that I ask everyone on this interview is, what would you be doing if not this? Okay, I so I I ended up being in marketing because what I really wanted to do was be a psychologist. <laughs> so I was, you know, when you go to, uh, you make the decision about which path you're going to go down, you know, when I go to college, right? Because that's kind of like, you kind of choose your path at that point. I was looking at psychology, or I was looking at like business and IT. I didn't, I didn't study marketing specifically. Anyway, I went down the business and IT path. But I think as I, as I started in my career, I think I ended up going into marketing because it's the psychology of buying behavior right and i still love that piece i still love like i said i like listening to people like understanding kind of what their challenges are so i like that that's what i really like about the marketing piece and and everything of how your brand looks at an event what it looks like on the website what the colors do what the imagery does i love all that piece of it too but if I was ever to leave this profession and I could actually, you know, afford to go back to college and restudy, I think it would be psychology or psychiatry or something like that, for sure. Yeah, I don't think anyone is ever like, you know, born as a kid and is like, oh, I want to do marketing when I grow old. No one actually has that career, but they somehow end up in it. And a yeah. lot of people who love psychology are around in this career. So actually, I, I actually think it's absolutely amazing to be a marketer. I get to do more yeah. practical psychology than I would do if I was in academia. So <laughs> yeah, sure. that's yeah. for sure. All right. Well, that's the end of the interview. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this month's episode of Outgrows Marketer of the Month. That was Dale Hall, who's the CMO at SnapLogic. Thanks for joining us, Dale. Thanks, mate. Check out their website for more details and we'll see you once again next month with another Marketer of the Month.